This week's episode is brought to you by the one and only Sync Fusion. Listen, we've been talking about Sync Fusion for about the last 45 years because they've been with us since the beginning of the podcast. They help you deliver your apps faster. They have the world's best UI component suite for building powerful web, desktop, and mobile apps, no matter what you're building with, whether it's Blazor, Flutter, ASP.NET, Angular, React, Vue, Maui, Xamarin, UWP, or so much more. They have awesome controls, powerful document processing, and entire dashboards ready to go. Head to syncfusion.com slash mergeconflict to learn more. That's syncfusion.com slash mergeconflict. And thanks, Syncfusion, for sponsoring this week's pod. Frank, 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 Mr. JavaScript developer himself. <laughs> Goodbye.net. Hello, JavaScript. Frank, you've turned. I've turned. I haven't turned. I've been rocking the JavaScript since I was a little kitty. I love the JavaScript. That's not true, James. I absolutely hate JavaScript. But I did write a JavaScript library. And so, yes, I am a JavaScript programmer this week. Just this week, though. I'm proud of you because you made some amazing graphics on this website. And then additionally, well, your styling looks very good. So I'm very impressed with it. It looks very Frank Kruger-esque in nature, the CSS, and it is good. No, I mean, you can't get away from JavaScript in some relation. We were talking about just Blazor and Blazor WebAssembly. And, you know, there's there's JavaScript invoking and there's JavaScript libraries that you're calling. And, like, you can create a .NET wrapper over it, but it's how much do you want to do stuff in general. So the cool part here is that... Uh, that you did a thing. And, and this is cool because this is actually combining two, maybe three episodes that we've talked about. So this has sort of been a buildup over time, which I'm very mm-hmm. proud um, to, to see that our podcast has led to not only talking about cool little projects, but also yet another thing, bringing them together. And you, know, you could always link to the podcast and your GitHub page, but you know, not a big deal or onto the website. doesn't really matter. Um, but maybe this one, but <laughs> what's cool here is that this is combining all of that, um, um, machine learning stuff that we talked about a few weeks ago, all of that, um, neural network creation to do language translation and also, uh, static websites to host stuff for free. Who doesn't love hosting websites for free? Frank is not just joy. Yeah, it was, it was, this is the culmination episode. I've, I've been actually really looking forward to this. There have been so many little pieces in play. So let me introduce what we're actually talking about here. Um, I, I, I kind of want to give some background, but I'll just, I'll just TLDR it. I wrote some code so that you can run neural networks right inside of the browser. This is neat because you don't need a server to execute the neural network. All the computation is done right on the person's own machine. This is good for um, economy. <laughs> it, it's like infinite scale out. You know, if you have a thousand users, you basically have a thousand servers. It's good for that. It's good for the monies. Uh, it can be a little bit slow. Yeah, you know, people's machines aren't all as fast as the super servers out there. Uh, but it's also good for security. And so I'm excited uh, to have this little library. Oh, and sorry, yeah. And it's good for static website hosts <laughs> where you can't execute any code and those are free. And so we're just trying to combine all these, you know, I'm cheap and that's that's all I'm saying here. <laughs> so I'm trying to get a lot of bang for my buck out of these uh, free websites. And I decided running neural networks in the browser was the way to do it. Now, because previously you would have to run this neural network on a server. So that, that was the problem that you had is that, yeah. Hey, you know, I don't want to, to run stuff on the server at all. You have to pay for it. 
basically. You, you have to pay to host it and you pay per execution. Now, uh, going back to that episode where I talked about the cuneiform, I put the network up on Hugging Face, which is basically free, and they let you run a whole bunch of queries against it for free. But eventually that quota runs out and you have to start paying and things like that. But real quick story time. Okay. Uh, I was doing a Twitch stream and I was trying to show off some of this stuff. I was trying to show off the cuneiform network and the stupid server <laughs> inference API kept failing. It just kept failing. It's like, no, bro, not doing AIML today. Just not in the mood. I think it was, yeah, HTTP <laughs> code, not in the mood. And it, it was frustrating because it was a demo fail. And you know me, I hate demo fails. I, I knew what was happening. Okay, cloud services, they go down once in a while. It's annoying. But I kept thinking to myself, like, this network, it's big, but it's not ridiculous. It's not one of the giant crazy. It's no co-pilot, you know. It's, it's not this thing that requires data centers to execute. And I was just like, it should be able to run in the browser. And so I, I made the effort to... Um, just it turns out there's a lot of little pieces so uh, what i really did was i gathered together a million little pieces and glued them all together to make it work okay i like that i mean that's kind of how my software is made in general <laughs> yeah yeah uh so it's interesting because um these neural networks the, the one that i wanted to show off was a translation network so again going back to the cuneiform but this is a, a network i uh trained this is just an off-the-shelf one from google it's able to translate from English to uh, French, German, and Romanian. It's kind of an eclectic set of languages. Um, and I, I just wanted to use this as like a demonstration network of mm. what's possible here. And then as long as you have a network that's a similar architecture to it, uh, it should be able to run all of those too. But it turns out that the neural network is only like a part of the puzzle because uh, in order to do translation, you actually have to do a bunch of other things. A big part of it is called the tokenization process. And it all just comes down to neural networks don't operate on text. They don't operate on ASCII. They don't operate on Unicode. They 100 million percent could but they don't. It's it's just a waste of computation to make them go like letter by letter. It's just it's just a waste of computation. So I had to write <laughs> this tokenization library, James, and it almost broke me. I had to read Rust code. I had to translate Rust code into JavaScript. And there's a few tweets out there of me just 100% nagging on Rust because I just, I was miserable. I hate that language. I don't hate that language. I love all programming languages, but it's low on my list of languages that I like. And it almost broke me, but I did it. So, okay, describe this tokenizers thing again. So you, yeah, you, cause you were like, oh, did you tap on the test tokenizers button? And then I just see a bunch of things in here. Cause okay, so okay, let's back up a second here. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. your goal was to figure out at the end of the day to run neural networks for free and on folks machines that that was the end goal of this right yeah free okay. free, free being the I, I i don't i don't think i admitted it to myself at the time but hearing you say it like yeah i was aiming for free i, I want to run this thing everywhere for free and what we got so i want to describe it put it in the show notes is we got a website that uh, has a, a subdomain on proclaim.org, uh, which 
will enable me to translate from English. That's the only, you can't go the other way. So only from <laughs> English to French, German, Romanian using the T5 small neural network, which is the one from Google that does those things. So if I understand this correct, you built a website that can be hosted as a static website that, and, and, and you built a JavaScript framework library that that website can, can use that will then call in to that neural network to do that translation automatically. That's like what you created it and you then deployed it using Azure static web apps <laughs> to host that JavaScript library and pulling down those neural network files, I'm assuming that are required for that JavaScript um, stuff to run. Is that accurate that I'd accurately describe what happened here? I think you did. You did. You did. Uh, I'm, I'm going to change the perspective slightly, though. Okay. Um, what I needed was a JavaScript library to do translations using a neural network. So oh. I'm starting with the library perspective because I want to deploy this to multiple websites to do multiple things. Mm. Um, you know, one, just because it can run one structured neural network, those neural networks can do a variety of things. Like we're doing translation right now, but that's just a demonstration. This network itself can also do summarization and it can do question answering. You give it some text and you can start asking questions. It knows a little bit about the world. And so it has all these advanced capabilities. And what I want is for people to be able to put those kinds of neural advanced capabilities into their own websites or, and we'll get there, apps, obviously. <laughs> I'm an app developer. I want to do this for apps. I did it for the web first just because, I don't know, I'm being wacky. I just wanted to like prove it to myself that I could get this stuff even working anywhere. But rest assured, if you can get it working on the web, you can get it working in apps. So I started with the library. And then James, this is all you. I knew you wouldn't take this seriously unless I built a nice demo website Correct. and hosted it on a nice server and had a nice domain. So this is all your pressure on me of wanting to present to you, James, a nice demo of this. But I definitely have the library perspective. I plan on using this on a variety of websites and honestly, not for translation. Translation is one of the most boring things that this library, uh, that these neural networks can do. But they all share a common code base. And it was that common code base that I had to build up in order to be able to execute them. Yeah, that makes sense. Yeah, that, that makes sense. Because the, the end goal there, like you said, is to to use it to do other type of things, yeah. basically. And you have a nice uh, blog post right there all about it. I put all the effort in. I put you all did. the effort in. <laughs> it's like, it's it's such like a, a niche. It's like a product <laughs> launch. Thanks. Yeah. <laughs> well, honestly, um, I've been getting a lot of projects to like 90% and not kind of releasing them. Mm. And it was starting to weigh on me. So I was like, you know what, I'm going to have a nice little launch for this library. It's very niche. Obviously, not many websites need to run a neural network on them. But you know what, in the future, they will be, it's going to become more and more popular, we can't really help that. And so I think libraries like this and all that will become more popular. 
And I kind of wanted to put a stake in the sand also and be like, look, here's my version of it. It works great. <laughs> Let's all move on and maybe do this a lot more. I say in the blog post that there are certainly these very large neural networks out there like Copilot that are so big that running them in the browser is not feasible. They can be. They can be. As long as you have enough RAM and you're patient enough, they can be run in the browser. Mm. Uh, but you're, you don't want to. They're just too slow. Uh, so you, you'll, you'll oh, we'll always have big giant iron to run those big networks but there are a lot of small to medium-sized networks that do a lot of good work that can easily easily run inside the browser it really was just a matter of putting all that glue together to make it easy um i should say um i did not write any of the code that actually executes the neural network for that i use the onyx library from microsoft and it, this is all thanks to them that they have a JavaScript version of Onyx runtime, and that can run beautifully inside the web browser. So I provided one big chunk, the tokenizers, and I'd love to <laughs> nerd out about those forever. I provided a whole bunch of glue, but uh, Microsoft provided this uh, neural network execution library, Onyx. Okay, so back up here on the Onyx bit, because I remember mm. Onyx being... This would be like similar to like CoreML or to something else, basically. That's like kind of what I remember. No, am I wrong at this point? Yeah. Because I thought that that was sort of like what it was, but it was originally for like Windows. So it's not just for Windows, it's like other stuff now. Yeah. In fact, um, it's more of an interchange file format. Hmm. All these neural networks, they they all use kind of their own file formats and there's not great interoperability or interchange uh, between all these kinds of libraries. And so the Onyx initiative, of course, they promoted Windows. It's, it's Microsoft. They can't help themselves. But of course, being Microsoft, they're also like, this is an open initiative. You know, let's create yet another interchange format. What's that joke? Like, um, <laughs> the only thing about standards is there's always a new one or something <laughs> like that. Whatever. Yeah. Uh, so they added another standard. But um, it's a standard that Torch. Torch is a Python library. PyTorch is a Python library that you use to train neural networks. It's a format that Torch can pretty easily output to. And mm. so, you know, I, I wouldn't say they've won the format wars because, of course, there's CoreML. There's uh, TensorFlow.js, an alternative to all of this. Um, so th they started out writing basically a file format, basically an interchange format. But to prove that anything's correct, you have to execute these models at some point. So they also built a runtime to execute Onyx models. And someone over there was had a lot of forethought and decided to make that uh, runtime run on all sorts of devices. Pretty sure it's supported directly on mobile. I really should have done that research <laughs> before this show. Um, but I, I promise you, if, if this thing is running in WebAssembly on the web, we can get it running on an iPhone, no problem. <laughs> so uh, I'm excited to also move these things into mobile. Oh, very cool. That's pretty awesome to hear that it's kind of above and beyond. So you took, but, but got a bunch of stuff, put a bunch of glue together, and then what happened? Oh, I, well, I realized I was in over my head. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> no. Um, okay. Well, there, there's a lot of small details. Um, I wasn't going to work on this at all. It was kind of neat. 
another person just on GitHub, they wrote a little script that optimized these networks and made them a little bit smaller mm. because this network that I'm talking about is like four or 500 megabytes. And you really don't want people downloading four or 500 megabytes. You know what? I think it's even bigger than that. And uh, they were able to do some fancy medieval magic on it <laughs> and quantize it down from 32 bit down to eight bit. Oh, wow. And yeah. And that's not just a size. It's a OK. So it's a huge size thing. Obviously, <laughs> you're getting one quarter the size. There can be a potential accuracy loss, but what you do is a very con careful conversion between that 32-bit to 8-bit. You don't just, you know, map number 0 to 1 to 0 to 255. You do it a lot more intelligently. And there was someone who released a library. I believe it's called Fast T5. <laughs> and it was just kind of inspiring because... Um, uh, Okay, so when I was saying it's not just a size thing, it's a speed thing, too. If, mm. if you have to wait 10 seconds between every word of a translation, you're just going to go to Google Translate. You know, you, you're going to be like, there's no point, Frank, in running this locally if it's this slow. Yeah. So it was, it was neat to see this um, Fast T5 library come out where it was like, oh, okay, we can take these bigger networks and actually run them on the CPU at reasonable speeds. So... Definitely another big block puzzle piece came in there. That was very cool. Yeah, I mean, that's what the next question I was really going to have. You kind of answered it for me, which is traditionally when you think of doing machine learning and models, these things are huge. And yeah. that's why you want to run them on a server or, you know, you, you mean that even if you're doing like CoreML or you're doing TensorFlow stuff, like adding those models is quite exhaustive. So you might have to like, like have a download script or something like that. So you're able to sort of get around that, but there is a, a, a package in an, an, an actual download executable. So is that file being hosted? Is that being hosted in static web apps? Is that on GitHub or like, how is that all bundled up basically? Yeah. Well, it's the web, so you can actually get away with putting things pretty much anywhere, you know, given <laughs> security models and all that. In fact, you ran into a weird security model glitch with it that I didn't fully understand. But mm. uh, yeah, I, I, we'll, we'll get to that after. I'll, I'll try to explain what I'm doing, but please understand, it's the web. You can do so many permutations of all this stuff. So what I have is just a static website, index.html. It has some things in it. That imports the onyx runtime library this is the thing that actually executes the neural network it's called ort onyx runtime and i just pull that down as a little javascript library hosted on deliver js you know you know hmm. you know you know how the javascript people do it they, you, you let someone else host it yeah yeah that's how you do it mm -hmm. <laughs> and it's actually done very nicely where um you just reference that and it'll download WebAssembly to execute the models. This is a neat little detail oh. about the Onyx runtime library. The way they were able to get a JavaScript library is they didn't. <laughs> they, they took their awesome C code, their runtime code to execute these models, and they just compiled it as WebAssembly. Mm. Bingo, bango. Clever. Yeah, and what they did was built a, law, a little, and I mean little, JavaScript library to wrap over that WebAssembly. 
it basically, you know, just has some good data types, interops with the JavaScript runtime, and then hands all that junk off to um, the low-level C code that's actually executing the neural network. Hmm. It's kind of fancy. I like that. It's really cool because often when we think of WebAssembly, we're always thinking of Blazor because we're .NET mm-hmm. developers, or at least that's how I'm thinking about it. But then, really, when you think about it, what yeah. we're really talking about is a lot more than that, right? We're talking about WebAssembly as in native code. It's an open standard at the end of the day, right? Yeah, yeah. And it's fun. You can take advantage of this in mobile, too. Just pop open a little web view and run your code in there. No biggie. Or uh, you do, you can do Blazor embedding, right? Right inside a, a Maui app. Yeah. So you, you can take advantage of all this stuff there too. I think there's still probably going to be advantages. Like these models could be converted to core ML, but I do like the simplicity of just using the Onyx runtime if I can. Mm. You know, like so I let, let's rewind even further back in time. <laughs> Uh, in 2017, I wrote a prediction engine for continuous to do a little bit of code prediction. I remember mostly, that. Yeah, mostly just to make the keyboard better, just because typing on the iPad's not the greatest, let's all admit. So I was just trying to make the keyboard better. And honestly, it was pretty advanced for the time. <laughs> but time progresses, and things like Copilot and IntelliCode have come out. They've, mm-hmm. they've upped the game a little bit, James. <laughs> I was so clever there for a couple of years <laughs> until the game got upped. And so I've been wanting to put more sophisticated networks into the apps also. And me being me, I don't want to have that running on a server. I want it running locally, mostly yeah. so I don't have to pay. But also, it's a great privacy thing. I, I don't have to do any privacy thing. I'm like, nope, I'm not shipping your code off anywhere. It's mm-hmm. all good to go. And so I do want to run these more advanced neural networks. And I wasn't sure if, A, I could convert them to a form that could run on the phone, let's say, the iPhone. And B, what is all the other junk surrounding the neural network? Because I I had learned enough at this point to know that the neural network's only half the battle. There's a lot of other stuff at play to make these things as good as they are. And going back to what I said, for some reason, I decided to solve it on the web first. It's really just uh, what mood I was in. (laughs) Um, But I 100% plan on, uh, for example, the tokenizer is the big piece of the puzzle that was the largest question mark for me. I I knew in principle what it did, but I had no code that did what it did. And if I were to put one of these modern neural networks into continuous, I'm going to need a tokenizer. Like I need to run that tokenization code on the phone, feed the results of that to the neural network, get the results back, de-tokenize it, <laughs> pop it up onto the screen. That's the flow. Uh, so I had to solve this giant question mark, and I wrote it in JavaScript because that's the mood I was in. <laughs> Do you wake and up in the morning and you're like, today's a JavaScript mood, today's a Swift mood, today's a F-sharp mood? How do you, how do you, <laughs> how do you wake up? Because I wake up and I'm like, hmm. Today's going to be like a cycling day or like, yeah, I'm going to wake up. Oh, today's today's feeling like, you know, eggs or it's feeling like yeah, turkey bacon or it's feeling <laughs> like uh, no breakfast. And or I, actually, I mostly wake up and I go, is today going to be an AeroPress type of day, mm, a French mm. press type of day? Ooh. Is it a V60 type of day? Is this uh. a James needs to go out and spend six dollars on a coffee type of day? <laughs> Those are the days that, I mean, that's 95% of my mornings, to be honest with you, is debating coffee situation. I feel like Frank, you and I are a little bit different in the way that we wake up. Yeah, dude, I solve the coffee problem. 
<laughs> you know, it, 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 you know it, it's that Forrest Gump saying, it's, you know, it's one less thing, James. One less thing. Just solve that coffee problem. I make a Mr. Coffee every morning. Yes, I live a boring life, everyone, but it's one less thing I have to think about. And therefore, I can think about which programming language I want to use for the day. No, I don't pick the language based on my mood. I'm just oversimplifying. Uh, this, the real, the, the, the needle, the straw, the straw that broke the camel's back was um, that, that server outage on my Cuneiform mm. website. And that made me mad. Uh, and yeah. I really, I wanted to live translate on that website. It's always been in my original idea and plan. And so this was, look, I have a very specific project that I will know whether this is working or not. And so I might as well code against that. The continuous one is harder because I haven't settled on the neural network I'm going to use to deploy to it. Unfortunately, it looks like all the bestest, goodest networks out there are copyrighted, <laughs> which is super annoying. So it means I have to train my own and deploy my own. And so this, I already had a pre-existing network, my Cuneiform one. I could test against it, all that stuff. And I could really prove out all this stuff. And the beautiful thing is, although I had such a hard time creating the tokenizer library, reading all that old Rust code, in the end, the code was pretty simple. And it's going to take me a whopping like two hours to convert it over to C sharp and or F sharp, whatever language I feel like picking that morning, James. <laughs> I like that. That's cool. That's cool. It so, is. <laughs> so what comes next in here? It comes next to the transforms that you actually have in this thing that are the tokens, I mean. That you wanted to yeah, get back okay. to? Yeah, uh, okay. Sorry, just to complete the story, because I keep yeah, talking about these it. tokenizers, and I'm, I'm, I'm very proud of them. Um, I, just from programming languages, we've always had these tokenizers things, and it, it, the whole principle is real simple. There's a text string. Neural networks don't deal with text. you got to turn the text into numbers. Which numbers? Who knows? But uh, you, you can actually decide. You have a lot of control over that. But all these different networks have slightly different tokenizer settings. And so I couldn't just implement one tokenizer. I had to implement like a general solution, the way like these libraries are designed. They have all these different options. So I had to implement a lot of different options. Uh, converting it to numbers turns out to be an interesting AI problem all to itself. The tokens are overspecified, like the way that you write the word universe. I can give you at least 10 different numeric patterns that would mm. generate the word universe. It is redundant. It is overspecified. And so to actually give the tokens that these neural networks want, what you have to find is the optimal uh, set of tokens to provide them. You have to solve a little optimization problem just to feed the data to the neural network to get the neural network to do the optimization problem. I found it all kind of uh, hilarious, to be honest, especially because that optimization problem, that little pre-tokenization problem, that used to be AI. <laughs> that was uh, the extent yeah. of 1970s AI was graph optimization problems. And so I thought it was super cute that you have to do like 1970s AI just to input into, you know, 2020s neural network. I thought that was so funny. It's like, uh, uh, it's like, yeah, going back in time to, to actually be successful in today's world. <laughs> yeah. 
And it was hard. It, it's, it's like graph theory stuff. It was so hard that um, I ended up coming up with this test suite because like you're never 100 percent sure if this mm. code that you're writing works because like i said there's a million ways you get the right answer a million different ways yeah. so you have to be very specific about um what's happening here so i ended up doing a kind of the brute force way i generated a thousand different strings and their tokenizations and i just kept running my library against it sorry i i ran that through the standard tokenizer the mm. one that runs in python and yeah. actually it runs in rust I ran it through that. You know, I basically created a thousand acceptance tests and just kept hammering away at my code until my silly little JavaScript algorithm matched the output of this ridiculous Rust code that I absolutely cannot read. Why do people use that language? Okay, Rust rant over. <laughs> well, you know, that's the best part is that you did a little test-driven development. I'm very proud of you. You, you have to, um, be, especially because I underestimated the problem. When... I when I learned the tokenization format, I I sat down with myself. I said, Frank, how would you implement this tokenization algorithm? And I said, this is how I would do it. And I sat down and I implemented it that way. And it got me a 4% success rate. And I just Not had bad. to like, I had to take a step back, James, because look, if you get the algorithm wrong, it should be a 0% success rate. Like there, there's no random chance here. There's too much data here. So why is it 4% right? And then why is it only 4% right? This is, <laughs> this is the best algorithm I could think of. You know, I'm like, if I were to do this, this is how I would do it. Well, <laughs> it turns out that's not how you should design things. You should actually go read the manual and learn how they did it and replicate that. And that's when I found about, out about this crazy graph optimization problem that you have to solve just to do the tokenization. So I went in with a lot of hubris and I definitely got humbled by this. H half of my pride around this library and why I tried to make the website look half decent was I just want people to <laughs> know that this, this effort was worth it. You know, like I'm not going to show this thing off in its ugliest form. I'm going to show it off in its best form because it was painful. It was painful, James. <laughs> I love it. That's that's amazing. It's so so kind of kind of crazy. Yeah. So so to answer your question, honestly, this is kind of the culmination of where I was going with everything. I now know that I can take these neural networks that I know how to train. I know how to convert them to forms where they can run on the web. They can run on mobile. I know how to write all the glue code that's needed to actually support them to use them in their proper form. Uh, which basically just gets me back to continuous. <laughs> now I actually have to integrate one of these into continuous. And I have other app ideas too. Um, th there's a fun idea. I, I keep playing around with my friends. Like I've learned a lot about these networks and I keep, I want to do like a joke rater. So you type in a joke and it gives you a rating. <laughs> How good is your joke? And fun little things like that. But I have other app ideas. But number one is I want to bring this into uh, continuous. And then can I pitch you another even crazier idea after that? Yeah, you can pitch me all the ideas, Frank. I'll take Frank ideas all day, every day. This is going to take a little leap of faith. All, all my best ideas. You, you got to sit back and just just tr try to guess at what I'm <laughs> trying to think of here. Circuit files, James. In, in the end, mm. are they not just text files? And <laughs> you, you already know where I'm going, don't you? No, no, go on, go no, on. Okay, okay. 
okay, so a, a circuit file is a text file. It lists out all the things in the circuit and their connections and all that stuff. Is that not just a language? Can I not just learn that language with a neural network? And then can I not just do the GPT trick? But instead of generating boring stories or summarizations, what if as you're building a circuit, it suggests the next component to put in? It suggests the next wire connection to make. Or Clippy comes up and says, I see you're trying to write a letter. <laughs> Here's some helpful advice for it. Uh, I think that these kinds of language models still haven't been fully exploited yet. I should say these exact language models are what's fueling the new um, image generation renaissance, the AI image generation. Uh, OpenAI just released um, Stable Diffusion, which is just an absolutely gorgeous image generator. And it's all, it's just one of these neural networks. It is, it's just one of these things that can run in the browser, can run on the phone. And so I think we're, we're just starting to tap the area. And uh, I, I think I want a predictive circuit editor. I think I want that. I like that. I feel like you're gonna get to the point where iCircuit, again, a little complimentary here, sort of completes the circuit for you, like Visual Studio. <laughs> And Copilot writes the stuff for you. So like, here you exactly. go. Exactly. Yeah, I want the I want the Copilot for circuits. Yeah. There's your elevator pitch, I guess. I like it. We're getting yeah. there. Oh my goodness. Oh God, we really are. I mean, this is running in a web browser of all places. <laughs> Put this in a powerful environment. Let me use a few more CPU cores. Let me use your GPU. I can do a lot. Oh yeah. Oh yeah. I love it. Uh, well, I want to ask one more thing before we get out of here is, was the easiest or hardest part the actual static web app? Oh, we have to talk about this for a few seconds. Uh, I will go with one of the easier parts. It was a, I'm not going to say it was perfectly smooth, James. I did get confused a couple times. So for reference, everyone, I, I was using Cloudflare for a lot of these things. Um, but um, Jay showed me that Azure can also very easily host these static websites. And the rule is 250 megabytes for the free tier. You can mm. get more, obviously. And so uh, when I was talking about quantizing the models earlier, bringing them down in size from 32-bit to 8-bit, there's a very practical app reason for that, and that's so I can fit it onto the Azure websites. But I knew that going in. So no, no shade, no lemonade against Azure there. They say on the tin, 250 meg for the free tier. So no problem there. Um, I got my GitHub all set up. That was exciting. Uh, it's funny, somehow Cloudflare does its deployments without a GitHub action file. But Whoa. when you hook up Azure static web apps, it creates a GitHub action file. Oh. And in the end, I think I prefer the GitHub action file because I can customize it later. And I did. I ended up messing around with the build a little bit because it was being a little picky, picky about files and things. Yeah, that that's actually, I'm assuming that Cloudflare is probably looking in, at a... Um like webhooks and then it is like pulling the files down automatically where I do like the other one, which gives you the control. I wonder if, I wonder if they do have a action that you could Probably. set up if you wanted yeah. to, but I do like the, that I always like when I have more control over it, like, Hey, set up the thing for me and then let, and maybe that works. Maybe that works great. Yeah. Right. Um, okay. and then go from there. Yeah. 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 Uh, now, one thing that got me a little bit upset was Cloudflare lets you pick the subdomain that's going to be hosted on their domain. It's on their domain, right? But you can pick the subdomain. Mm. Uh, 
Azure, for some reason, generates a random one and doesn't let you change it. It's, it seems weird, hmm. honestly. And it wasn't just me. I Googled around. You can't change the name for some reason. I suppose they're trying to prevent name squatting and such, but their automatically generated names are a little horrendous. So that's a little sad because I had cuneiform.pages. I'm sorry, for the other project. I, I plan on actually moving it over to Azure now. <laughs> um, you could pick the subdomains, but now I couldn't. So I was immediately forced into their only option was you can't change the subdomain. Therefore, you have to use a custom domain. And I was like, oh, brother, I'm not going to pay for a whole domain just for the stupid demo of the stupid JavaScript <laughs> library that I wrote. Uh, fortunately, thank you, Microsoft, they allow C names, which means you can do a subdomain off your own domain. Great. Love it. Mm -hmm. But then I'm like, but wait a minute. If I'm C naming this thing, I'm not going to have SSL. There's uh, who, yeah. who's going to sign the thing, and does that mean I have to put Cloudflare in front of my Azure <laughs> in order to get a, SSL? And I'm like, no, that sounds terrible. And then James, Microsoft came through. Microsoft came through. They're like, hey, if you set up your C name correctly, we'll do the cert. And I'm like, but that's impossible, Azure. You can't do the cert. And they're like, shh, shh, shh Frank. We'll, we'll do the cert for you. And somehow, magically, I have an SSL cert <laughs> on a domain that I never put an SSL cert on, but a magical server out there decided it's good enough. I don't know. I, di I didn't investigate too deep, but there's an SSL cert on my CDAVE. And so I just put it as a subdomain off of Preclarum, uh, which is fine, honestly. I, I would rather have what I have, transformers-js.preclarum.org, than transformers-js.azure look at me i'm hosting you.com yeah. yeah so that's cool it's fine yeah at first i found it super annoying but in the end it came out better nice it all came together it's a whole series of strings and tubes <laughs> and thanks to you um I, I didn't know about the azure stuff and i definitely will adopt it because as much as i love having eight thousand different web hosts it is nice to have everything under one roof <laughs> i value simplicity yeah I agree with that. Well, cool. You did. I'm proud. I will put links to everything in the show notes and a great blog detailing all the stuff that we kind of talked Thanks. about today, yeah. too. Sounds very cool. I'm very proud of you, Frank. I love it. Yeah. I can't wait to see and what you do with it next. That's a cool part. Yeah. Well, keep an eye out for the uh, .NET 6 version of it, because obviously I'm going to need that to put it into my own apps. So that's, <laughs> that, true. that's hot on the heels. I was just excited to get this web version out. Nice. I like it. I like it. And I like talking about other stuff. Random, cool, JavaScript mm -hmm. stuff. It happens. <laughs> it's cool. All right, man. Uh, sometimes Frank talks about stuff that's way over my head, but he tries to break it down for me. We'll see how much I retain from this when he gives us the update about all the other awesome <laughs> stuff he's doing with it. No, it's a journey. It's a Code journey. You and me. XAML yeah. generation, circuit generation, generate all the things, all the things. Yeah. At the end of the generate all the things. Well, I think that that's going to do it for this week's podcast, Frank. What do you think about that? Mm. Oh, I, I appreciate you letting me do two ML episodes <laughs> within a few weeks of each other. We'll get back to mobile development. I promise you, everyone. So I appreciate it. And uh, yeah, it, it wasn't over your head. You, you, you know, you know, the JavaScript. You just don't like to admit it. That's true. You just. Yeah, that's true. <laughs> well, we do have some exciting Apple stuff upcoming. So I'm excited about that. Some iPhone events mm -hmm. and a whole lot more. So stay tuned for that, folks. But until next time. This has been another Merge Conflict. I'm James Montemagno. And I'm Frank Krueger. Thanks for listening. Peace.